Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and I have with me today uh, someone we've had on the show before, uh, an old friend. Um, here to talk to us yet again is our is our friend uh, uh, Paul from the Utopian Horizons podcast. Paul, welcome. Thanks for having me on again, Trevor. Absolutely. Um, so last time you were on, um, wow, what? Because I, I got confused. Uh, I was about to say you talked about Snatcher, but that's when I was on your podcast. Yeah, no, you talk, we uh, we talked about uh, Aberdeen on your one. Oh, we did, and uh, and uh, Discworld Noir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, yeah, the, and I, I was I was amazed at how many people were like, oh, Discworld Noir. I played that. People really that that really resonated with people. Especially, it surprised me especially when you were like, oh, here's this game. Like no one's no one's gonna remember this fondly, but here's here's a game I remember fondly and. Everyone was, everyone just jumped on. Oh, that's cool to hear there's some uh, other people out there. Yeah, there's um, some Discworld Noir heads. Yeah, I actually ended up writing an article about notebooks uh, after that episode as well, where we talked a lot about notebooks. Oh, Uh, where'd you uh, you put it? It's uh, on The Guardian. Uh, So I cut, yeah, so people were (laughs) fans of The Notebook Chat on, uh, yeah, Oberdin and Discworld. Just Google it, I'm sure you can find it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure what, uh, Paul Walker, Emig, Guardian? Yeah, uh, yeah. nobody else has my name, so it, it works yeah. well for Google, which is a That's good thing or a bad thing, depending on... <laughs> <laughs> I thought, when you said that, I thought you meant no one else but the Guardian has your name, and I was like, that's... that's, that's a, I, know, I know they're a little strange, but that's a, that's a heck of a contract to, to give them. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird, because uh, I used to just be called Paul Walker, which is... You know, you Google that, that's complete anonymity and you're hidden by the, you know, the famous, famous actor. actor. Yeah, yeah, but then once I changed my name, I'm the only person with that name, so oh, yeah, I feel, no, more, I feel more vulnerable now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little better not being, like, just uh, um, immediately the same as the uh, the guy who tragically died from the movie. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think there's some benefit to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take the glass half full approach to your name now being unique. Um, but you, you've come here to talk to us again about about Utopia, which is awesome because I actually, uh, I, what I found in our last podcast and my, coming on your podcast is that, and listening to your podcast is that I don't know enough about uh, Utopia, and, and that's one of the things that you wanted to talk about, like the misconceptions and sort of like the ways that people misunderstand um, what utopia and dystopia are. Yeah, so I feel like, so naturally people make the assumption that utopia and dystopia are opposites. Um, In a sense they are, in a kind of, uh, I guess you could say aesthetic sense, or, (laughs) you know, the, the, the... the very obvious thing of utopia is a good society, dystopia is a is a is a bad society, but I found um, so I found for example that when I talked, I've talked before about uh, so I've, again, sorry to keep talking about articles I've written, but um, no, please. I wrote, I wrote plug some, away. <laughs> so I wrote an article about uh, cyberpunk for um, 
the Guardian as well. And I was kind of talking about how the the kind of um, the elements of cyberpunk have had have become like a, just a, an aesthetic thing. So yeah. it, the way that you know the, the 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 key elements of cyberpunk obviously arise out of trying to map like a, an emerging corporate neoliberal society. You know this idea of like corporations controlling everything. This obviously comes out of a certain political context. Um, I was kind of Absolutely. talking about how how that how those elements have just become like part of the aesthetic. Uh, you know how, like for example, the rampant inequality is part of the cool look of cyberpunk. Uh, right. The, the yeah, that's actually a really good point because you have the you know in cyberpunk traditionally you have like the high rises and the slums, and that's like that's an important thing to be able to go from like the giant neon down to you know where everyone is living in shanty towns and yeah not really not really interrogated much but it is part of the aesthetic for sure yeah so so my point the point was kind of that the the, that kind of inequality is equivalent to neon lights for example they're both Mm -hmm. just things that you have in cyberpunk um and there, there were some other things i was talking about but just just broadly speaking i was talking about how this political element of it's been emptied somewhat and i talked about how it would be good for cyberpunk to kind of regain some of its utopian drive Mm. so that ended up with a lot of people saying to me you want cyberpunk to be all happy and uh friendly and it wouldn't be cyberpunk if you if you got rid of the, the the bad parts but that's not what I mean. Um, so, 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 um, I, I guess the best way of, of getting to this, uh, there's a, a guy called um, Tom Moylan, who okay. is uh, an academic who uh, writes a lot about Utopia and so on. And he, he's known for this idea of critical dystopia. So, the idea is that you have. Um, so utopia is obviously pointing you towards a better kind of society and in doing so it's inevitably kind of critiquing the one you're in if that makes sense because yeah yeah, um, a dystopia is also doing the same thing but in a different way a dystopia is picking out the certain elements of your society that are problematic and looking at where those could go wrong um you know if we keep following that path where does that end it's you know taking those those things along it can often present some kind of resistance to that as well um so both that utopia and dystopia in that sense are doing the same thing they're just taking a different approach uh, does that does that make sense where I am so far? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think like uh, another way to put it would be to say like the it's not as if utopia and dystopia are opposites. It's that it's that they just kind of like take two um, dialectical or two sort of like seemingly opposite paths to the same critique, which is to say they're both critical of a contemporary society. It's just that dystopia is more sort of like actively critical of the things via. I don't know, allegory or however it wants to do it. And utopia is more critical by way of suggestion, almost like almost like a metonymy or like a, a, a sort of like missing signifier, something that implies as opposed to sort of lays out. Maybe the difference between deductive and inductive reasoning. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but the, yeah, I think so. But it, it, this can also be like get more complicated because sure. so Tom, Tom Moylan, he, he basically says you can have utopian utopias you can have anti-utopian utopias you can have <laughs> utopian dystopias and anti-utopian dystopias um so, so basically what, what it's talking about really is utopia is talking about first of all a belief that change is possible mm-hmm. that we yep. could have and that pursuing a better world is a desirable thing to do if we're talking about anti-utopia we're talking about yeah, this familiar idea that basically we've seen where utopianism takes us. It is the gulag, it is the Holocaust. And if you try to create a better society, it, it's all very well and good in 
uh, theory, but in practice, you know, that's where you're going to end up. So mm-hmm. that's really the, the the two poles, I think. Of the, uto- the, the actual difference is, is the utopia, anti-utopia thing. Do you believe that change is possible? Do you think we can pursue a more perfect society? Or do you think that's inherently dangerous? And then utopia and dystopia can appear on both sides of that spectrum. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it would seem to me that, you know, in order to believe in dystopia and utopia, you have to believe that change is possible. That, like, you can change a society by way of, like, an individual... uh, Will is very loaded. Um, An individual sort of, like, uh, uh, ideology or or, or program, whereas anti-utopianism sort of trucks in that old... um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same kind of language. Yeah, and I think is representative of uh, the political climate we have to a large degree. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's starting to change to some degree, but, you know, the whole idea of the end of history and sure. liberal capitalism being that, you know, we found the best system. Obviously, there are some problems here, but that's just... <laughs> You know, well, don't go. We just tweak some things here and there. Don't it's, think about it too hard. It's fine. Yeah, we're doing um, good. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think anti. So I, this is why this is one of the reasons I'm interested in utopia, right? And why I think it's really, really important is because we most of my yeah, but oh well, all of my life really, I've lived within uh, a system where or context where political change has been seen as kind of fundamentally impossible mm-hmm. sure and y- utopia to me the the uh utopianism the kind of belief that that we can change things and the the act of changing things is is really important way of dealing with the the kind of political stasis that we have because yeah. the alternative is is uh a kind of uh, reactionary politics, I think. And also, yeah, we, we're seeing that very much at the moment as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I think, like, on some level, you know, we I think it's very popular to sort of see uh, dystopianism as reactionary, whereas I think anti-utopianism is probably more reactionary. Um, 100%. So far, well, I mean, if you sort of say, like, if you sort of say that change is impossible... That's sort of like it's its own reaction to uh, the climate where, like, change is impossible, so let's secure things as much as we can, right? Yeah. That's one way of, uh, of approaching it. Um, or change is impossible, so let's um, let's make sure that um, we get ours. Sort of like, I, I think, like, maybe where I'm coming from with this is imagining or looking at the ways in which... Um, you know, the ways in which uh, leftist discourse in the face of, like, say, climate change can quickly become proto-fascist, where, like after you stop believing that you can change things, you sort of pivot to saying like climate change is going to come for us all. Let's buy a bunker and at least live um, as best as we can until the end of the world. Um, Like that seems, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm still misinterpreting it, but it seems to me that that is like largely a, 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 not a condition of, but a, a, maybe something that follows from, let's say anti-utopianism or I'm sorry. Yeah. Anti-utopianism, not dystopianism. No, you, you, yeah, I definitely agree. And you, you that uh, kind of proto-fascist thing is definitely emerging uh, as a result of responses to climate change, like you said. Um, yeah, the idea of... Uh, it's kind of... It, once you accept it as an inevitability, which, yeah, inevitability is kind of anti-utopian, then right. you have to start putting up the walls to, you know keep the yeah uh, it, it, <laughs> keep everyone out so that you yeah can yeah it's it's sort of like it's like the uh the trump white house response to climate change where they say well climate change probably i mean you hear rumblings about this i think the trump white house would probably say that climate change isn't real but you hear rumblings from certain conservatives that say like yeah climate change is real um it's just that we're gonna make a lot of profit through it if we do the right things um which is Nuts, but I mean, it's not so far off from saying climate change is real, which means we have to secure our future uh, before, um, before like, before everything falls apart. Yeah, sure. 
So where do you see like I, I mean this is such a this is such a an interesting um, framework and one that I think I don't know like I think probably a lot of people are not as familiar with anti-utopianism as they are utopianism and dystopianism. So like where do you see like what is what is sort of like a helpful outside of outside of uh, Moylan what's a helpful um, uh, heuristic for like understanding this stuff. Um, well, I think if we're looking for kind of an example of anti-topianism, uh, I think the Bioshock series offers a really good example of this. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, I know you've talked about Bioshock. No, it's a lot okay. It's okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work out Bioshock eventually. I I, I know it. <laughs> yeah. We, well, this is one more step towards that. Um, so, like, obviously, you can read the Bioshock series as being uh, the first Bioshock sorry um, as being well it's obviously about objectivism you can read that as being about neoliberalism because obviously mm-hmm. there's a kind of intellectual history there and they, they share a lot of the same ideas Yeah, definitely. and given, given when it came out that's certainly how I read it at the time I think lots of people probably read it in that way I think that's I fair think, yeah, yeah I, I think that's quite a reasonable one uh, way to read it but um i think it, it, it takes on a different context once you've played bioshock infinite and also once you've read some of the stuff that ken levine has said um have some interview interview quotes from him if you uh, wouldn't mind me i'm i'm up for it yeah please <laughs> okay so so this is this is this is one talking talking about bioshock uh, we're being interviewed about Bioshock. He says, "Okay, well, in At the Shrugged, that's a utopia where Anne Rand, who made the philosophy, made all the rules, and all the characters were under her control. What if things weren't under everybody's control? And I think that's the problem with utopias. We bring ourselves to it. You know, we think we're leaving our problems behind." But I don't mean this in a cynical way. We are the problem. Like, whatever social problems that occur come out of us. It's not like they fall out of the sky. I think people uh, think they're going to be utopian society, and I think it's not really possible. Huh. So, <laughs> Ken Levine is not a utopian. Um, no, I think, I think whatever he is, he's not a utopian. <laughs> that's for sure. So that's kind of... You can see the, the his idea there that there's just human nature is kind of has in it is an inherent human nature that creates the problems so i don't know what kind of solution is there i guess we just have to accept the society that we have because yeah that's how it is yeah otherwise otherwise we're naive i guess i guess that's is that the is that the inherent threat of anti-utopianism like don't don't be naive Uh, absolutely i mean if you think of uh what is the kind of um so one of the definitions of utopia, like the the way that people often use the word in a daily context means you're kind of dreaming, like you're delusional. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. I'm talking about the, the, which is not, it is a meaning of the word. It's not a meaning of the word I like, but it's one of the, you know, if you say, oh, that's the utopia, yeah, stop, you're stop being, being so, so utopian. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, you're being naive. You're, 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 uh, dreaming you're you're not being realistic so it's kind of built into the language of utopia really this kind of anti-utopian uh yeah perspective right yeah that's actually a good point like yeah when people describe utopian politics or something like that like the idea is like well yeah if only but what you're describing is impossible yeah um i've got a little bit more from ken please please (laughs) the more we can get the more ridiculous stuff we can get from ken the better uh, I've, I've got a Goebbels quote that he made that I wasn't going to read out. But oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is, he, yeah. Did he originally? I've got a quote that he made. No, I've got a quote that he made about Joseph Goebbels, which is a bit yikes. But um, uh, anyway, yeah. uh, if I could just leave that one for now, because I just want to. So this, this is another one from him. Um, uh, remember, this is about um, Bioshock Infinite. Remember, we created the Vox Populi, the characters in the game, before Occupy Wall Street and the founders before the Tea Party. And the reason um, that it is not because we saw the future, but because we were students of the past. Occupy Wall Street is nothing new. 
a leftist protest movement against the overreach of a capitalist structure. I sound like Karl Marx saying it. God forbid, Ken. Um, and a nativist, and a nativist anti-government movement is not a new concept either. They come and go, and come and go, and come and go. So again, that's a very kind of anti-historical. Um, so he's, you know, he's talking about history as a cycle, but fundamentally, he's talking about changes you can't really make a proper change because history just kind of goes in cycles like none of these things are yeah well it's not it's not dialectic it's it's not like okay the cycle then produces a new condition under which then you have to you know reassess it's it's literally like well this thing happened which means this next thing's also going to happen which means we're going to have a return back and i mean it's that it's that it's the sort of like um I mean, you, I just keep thinking of U.S. politics in this. It's, it's, it's the kind of, like, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi promise of, yeah, listen, like, um, I know it seems really bad right now, but uh, this is all an aberration. Let's just get back to what we were doing before. Let's get back to the middle, and, uh, and we can get back. Like, history has all these aberrations. Like, we, we know what's going to work out, and it's, it's like, measured, uh, you know, non-left <laughs> non or right uh, thought. Yes, again, this is this is anti-utopian because what you're essentially saying is a a radically different vision for what society could be is inherently dangerous, uh, and this ties into you know the the horseshoe theory thing where people start saying, well, anti-fascists are the real fascists and right, yeah, you know, exactly. all this type of thing, uh, because what you're saying is because the the left uh, has a, a radically kind of different vision of society and the right has a radically different vision of society that they somehow the same thing and they're both dangerous so let's just yeah stick in the middle but because the middle has never had any sort of different sense of, of society so and of course it's it, of course it's a static thing that never changes or shifts yeah with. and it's, it's it's all objective uh one, one of the things that that most chilled my blood um I don't know how it's like all the people can talk about here. So it's, it's part of my frame, but like uh, the, the democratic primary, the sort of like uh, the, 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 the determining of who will uh, face Donald Trump in the 2020 election um, has been just like extremely dumb and just like <laughs> packed with people. Like there, there are too many people running. Um, I think even they know it, but more and more uh, keep uh, declaring. I think there are like, I don't know. There might even be 30 there's enough to field a full baseball, a uh, full, excuse me, a full American football team. Um, okay. Almost, almost enough to fill a baseball team. I think there are 21 candidates. Um, but one of the candidates uh, is this guy named Pete Buttigieg, um, and Buttigieg's whole deal is he is, um, I mean, he 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 weaponizes his sexuality in a lot of ways. So he's he's uh, he's a gay man. He uh, sort of says like, I'm a gay man, and it's time like a gay man was in office. Um, which, I mean, he's not wrong, but that doesn't make him a good candidate. Um, but the other thing he says is, like, he's very, very centrist. Uh, he was a troop, uh, so he was in the military. He is, like, the mayor of an Indiana, Indiana town, um, so he knows how to deal with conservatives. Like, that's all his, his pitch. And uh, someone posted, like, a tweet about the, the Pete Buttigieg dank meme stash on Twitter. <laughs> or on, on Facebook, excuse me, which is just, like... <laughs> The, the the three the three words or the four words you hear before you die um but uh it, it um one of the things it said was like uh it, it described his policies as like what was it, it was like data driven um like data driven progressivism and the, like, the idea of data driven progressivism is just like it's such a perfect example of Centrism assuming that a thing is objective while like proposing something like absolutely horrific. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, and it's, it's not good I mean, tactic. It's, yeah, it's anti-utopianism, right? Where like yeah. you're saying, um, yeah, gosh, I, uh, I, we can't change anything uh, by like appealing to ideology. But what if we could just like get a better picture of what we have? Maybe we could change it. Maybe we could just fix what we have. And that, yeah, that kind of hostility to ideology, so that's, just to, to tie this back, that's why I think Bioshock is a good example of anti-utopianism, because, yeah. so, and this is why I now kind of read Bioshock in a different way. Um, I think that neoliberal reading is still there and still works, but 
um, bearing in mind those kind of quotes I've pulled out and bearing in mind, I know you've already had the conversations with people about Bioshock Infinite, the way it it kind of has this struggle. It's got a, a literally enslaved people in a white supremacist state who have a very justified reason to rebel and it works very hard to find a way to make them as bad as the people they are it works so against. hard to both sides slavery it's incredible yes yes, <laughs> like yes. I, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it yes so bearing in that mind i think the two if you there's one thing that ties bioshock and bioshock infinite together uh that's the claim i am now going to make and it is that they have the same bad guy and the bad guy is ideology <laughs> <laughs> or we might say we might say politics or yeah. even utopianism because we can see what the thing that Ken Levine seems to find uh, most troubling about Anne Rand is that she had a philosophy for how society should be organised. Uh, that's the thing that he finds terrifying about, um, I can't remember, uh, Comstock. That's the thing he finds terrifying about the, the rebels. The, the bad guy is ideology. Um, and that's that comes through so strongly in Infinite. Like the, I mean, they literally say in the game, like, they're just as bad as each other, like, multiple times. Right. Um, well, and it's, it's also, I mean, that's also the the sort of, like, big moment and the, the would-you-kindly moment in uh, in Bioshock, the, the original game, where it's like, oh, no, like, through through this one phrase, they've been controlling me the whole time. <laughs> What is what is ideology to someone who uh, has no politics than uh, a series of phrases that are used to control the masses? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think this this gives you that that kind of that view of Ken Levine. These games, their kind of view of their kind of inherently negative view of politics, um, and I mean politics in ter- not in terms of that guy you were talking about where you do data-driven you know, <laughs> politics is a series of technical decisions that have to be made and like negotiations uh, and deals you know not that kind of politics politics as in ideology and vision and policies these are the, these this is the bad guy in bioshock that's what it's really hostile towards and that is anti-utopianism for me yeah no, I agree, and I, it, it, it's a funny way of thinking. I mean, I guess the reason I'm thinking so much about American politics here is, and I, I just realized I've never been more jealous of anyone than I am of you for not having to know anything about American politics. Like, oh, just, uh, just living I'm in a world where you don't know who Pete Buttigieg is is so... Oh, I do, I do, I'm afraid. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Come on. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of do follow American politics a bit because it's kind of hard not to. I mean, I mean you, you are the masters of the world. We have to kind of pay attention to it. That's right. That's right. Pay attention. Um, no, it, it, it reminds me of the way I follow, like, uh, British politics, which is to say, like, I know some of the players, but when people are like, oh, this MP is so terrible, I'm like, well, I don't know who that is, and I'm, I'm pretty lucky not to know who No, I, I've been exposed to the full history of Kamala Harris. And, oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, then, then you'll know, like, the the... Biden's going to save us now, isn't he? Oh. <laughs> I was just thinking today, driving uh, after dropping my daughter off at school, uh, I was just thinking, like, um, I, this, this just sounds like it's going to get very profound about being a parent, but really it's not. I, if any, What I love about, like, profound parent things is anyone who's, like, a parent is like, oh, yeah, I dropped my daughter off at school, and anyone who's, like, done that before is immediately thinking, like, oh, so your brain was, like, absolutely turned off. Like, it was the one moment you weren't thinking about anything. It's like, yes, exactly. Like, I had nothing on my mind. I was just thinking about garbage. Um, Because no child was in the car I had to worry about. Um, But, but, like, I dropped Tilly off at school, and it's like, wow, um, Biden is, like, this guy is horrible. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing appealing about him in any way. I, I just, I find the whole thing uh, just completely, completely terrible. Like, there's nothing appealing about him, um, which is kind of incredible. Like, it, it's, it's a bit incredible to think about, like, a guy so vile that I can't, like, I can't come up with a, with a reason to vote for him two years in the future against Donald I mean, I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump, and I probably would vote for Biden, but, like, trying to think about ways in which I wouldn't feel just completely disgusting about it. It's like, yeah, well, this is the, yeah, the, the, 
lessons have not been learned, I don't think, by the Democratic Party since no. the last... And I think, like, the, the lesson probably is something along the lines of, yeah, like, uh, what we need to run on is utopianism. We need to run on a politics. And, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be utopianism. It doesn't have to be, like, we're going to fix every problem. But it does have to be a politics. Um, and the right certainly is thrilled to run on politics. The right loves running on politics. It Like, that's what it does. Um the yeah, well, this is the whole unwilling. Yeah, I mean, the, the Hillary Clinton's campaign was effectively like, "I'm not Donald Trump." Yeah, <laughs> and Donald exactly. Trump is bad. There was no, there was no vision for what kind of society is the, a Democratic Party going to create if you vote for us. And yeah, I think that's the that's again that's why I think utopianism is really important because I think. People, yeah, it, you need to present some kind of vision of what you're for and what you. Again, as you say, it doesn't. When we're talking about being utopian, it doesn't have to. Doesn't mean uh, my program. I propose that I will end racism and hunger in uh, three weeks. After you know, it doesn't mean it has to be unrealistic. It just has to be. Uh, yeah, what are the kind of positive features of a society that I want to create? Can still right, be, yeah. yeah. This is the other thing. You know, we were talking about utopia. People use that to mean unrealistic. It doesn't have to be unrealistic. It just has to be a vision of something better. Right, and I think like you know, it's, it's the other problem with the way people think about utopia. I think is that um, people assume like utopia can't be something that otherwise like bad people think of. Like I, I, I think let me let me put it a different way. Utopia, I, I think for people, sort of implies a. a positive like oh that's what the good guys want or something something along those lines whereas like there is a utopia for trump supporters like yeah, trump yeah, supporters yeah, have yeah. a utopia too it's something along the lines of what trump is working toward probably is like a white ethno state is their utopia um yeah absolutely yeah you can have white supremacist utopias you can have yeah, yeah i mean yeah. we have uh, we live in a utopia now if you're like i don't know peter Thiel or something yeah right right no no exactly we do and and I, you know, to say, like, to have one side saying, like, here are our policies and we'll make it work for you, even if they're evil, and the other side saying, like, you know, we don't believe in uh, in these evil policies and we don't actually believe in any policies. Like, maybe we can just get back to being good people and, like, neighbors and talking to each other. I, it's, it's, it's like, it. I never thought of that as anti-utopianism before, but it 100% is, and that is exactly why it's so, like, deeply ineffective <laughs> yeah this is also i have to say while we've mentioned the term realism as well that this is for me this is often basically an anti-utopian term because what what does it mean where people in the political realm see say be realistic it is actually not really connected to realism at all uh what it means right. is don't try don't try and change things and what what's what seems realistic can very quickly shift. Uh, that should be a lesson that... The, the, the whole idea of... So Brexit, for example, mm-hmm. um, that seemed unthinkable to everybody and everybody assumed it wasn't ha- wouldn't happen. Um, oh, yeah. So this is not a utopian it, thing. But looking this at is, it from abroad you, and saying, like, there's no way this is going to win. This is a ridiculous thing. Yeah, so the, it was not realistic. Uh, and guess what? <laughs> the next day, it it was uh it's the same thing with trump like nobody oh, thought yeah. trump was gonna write so this can manifest in negative ways but also it probably if somebody had told you um at one time that this is a, a, a actually the guin's thing right about the, the, the divine right of kings uh you know it's um a, a man-made power that can be ended uh, by men but mm-hmm. anyway if you were lived under the divine right of kings and someone said to you uh, I think I can imagine a world where we didn't have kings, and like maybe we could decide how. I mean, that would not be that would not be realistic. No, people but this like, is this is how. Doing, like, yeah, that sounds great, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, so so utopianism, I guess I would say in a way it is unrealistic, but in the sense that you kind of you could make reality through like political organization and yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and like maybe maybe that's a way of thinking about utopia that I haven't actually ever done, which is 
Um, and, and maybe maybe it's not a popular way of thinking about it, where the point isn't, you know, what is the utopian position, but the point is actually, like, um, you know, what what is the sort of, like, limit of our current political imagination? Um, and how can we how can we sort of, like, stretch it in some way or another? I think, so... I, I'm obviously very interested in utopia, but I, I wouldn't call myself like an, an expert on it. But like I've interviewed lots of uh, academics and stuff on my podcast, and I would say that within the kind of academic understanding of it, it is actually the, the kind of more popular way to think about it now is as like a process, mm. um, because obviously the old way of you know utopia is something that you impose, like you know. Um, Soviet Union or whatever, like an imposition of here is how things are going to be. Utopia now, people think of utopianism as being about, again, this thing I said about believing that change is possible and kind of creating uh, creating the conditions, creating the conditions where change is continually possible and people are able to influence it, mm-hmm. uh, if, yeah. that, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And I think like, you know, this, this speaks to why why something like the you know the Democratic Party in 2019 or Bioshock are sort of like similarly unappealing or uninspiring because both sort of suggest to you like hey look you know um, the dreams and ideas you have about like the world changing are just it's not just unrealistic it's it's pointless like don't don't bother it's dangerous um, even yeah yeah exactly and like that is I mean it's just it's it's a fascinating thing to say insofar as you know. I don't know, like, I'm not trying to think of how to say this. Like, I think it's, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing to say insofar as the, um, the alternative is, hey, let's try and change the world and how, you know, absolutely engaging that is, even if it's unrealistic, um, to seed politics just because you're like, well, the reasonable thing here is just not to, not to get people's hopes up. I mean, that's like, that's so strange. It's, it's also, uh, it, Politically, I think it's pretty much proven that utopianism is a good strategy at the moment. If you look, like, so uh, I know in America, like, Medicare is, like, a big um, debate point. And, again, that's one of the things where people would say, like, you know, uh, you know, having, like, universal healthcare is unrealistic. But I believe I'm right in saying that if you actually look at, like, polls and stuff of how popular... The idea of that is oh, it's hugely, incredibly hugely popular. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so utopianism is actually strategically... Because the other thing with, with the whole centrist thing is, is like, okay, like, your ideas are nice, but, like, you know, we have to, like, be realistic about, you know, how we can win. So sometimes we have to, like, kind of, you know, uh, pull back our expectations a bit and, you know, just to... You know, we've got to convince people to our side. We can't go a bit too far. But, like, these kind of pop... These kind of, like radical uh in about quotes um, policies they're actually really popular we had the same thing here with like um public ownership because obviously in the kind of world that we live in like you know private stuff is obviously better and nobody wants like publicly owned services and right. yeah that's ridiculous whereas actually it's incredibly popular people like the idea of their water their electricity their trains being owned by public uh yeah so these these changes are not they're presented as being unrealistic but they are popular so strategically utopianism works that's what they they should learn in the democratic that's why people like um alexandria ocasio-cortez are able to gain such traction so quickly because right yeah it turns out that saying oh i think we could make the world better it's like quite popular people yeah, like it and it's funny because like um uh, someone like uh ocasio cortez is also now like the left is sort of uh disappointed in her because she has a lot of fairly like centrist policies and i think like you look at it and you say like well the, the real difference isn't that her politics were like radically better like she talked about class a little more and stuff and she's she's young like those are the those are good things the the reason she was she resonated with people is exactly what you say is that like she didn't look at it so there's a there's a headline that just came out about Pelosi saying you know we can't we can't tack too far to the left people we have to be in the center because if we aren't and we lose Donald Trump will contest the election 
Um, and, and people are like, why, why are we assuming he would contest the election in one instance if we were radical and not in another instance? Like, if we're worried he's going to contest the election, like, shouldn't we just be worried he's going to contest the election? Like, isn't that the concern at that point? Yeah, um, this is, again, politics as, a, like, kind of, uh, like a strat, like, you know what I mean? Like a strategic thing and, like, yeah. a data thing of, like, what, which numbers do we need to do to win? And then if we do this, what are they going to do? It's not politics as in what do we... <laughs> they should be thinking about the election in terms of what kind of world do we want to create? What society do we want to create? What are the policies that are going to do that? And let's present that vision, and then we can win the election. <laughs> not like... <laughs> so that seems like a good idea to me. I don't know. Yeah, no, me too. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think we're very popular in saying that, but uh, it seems like a smart idea to me too. I'm not sure why it's so controversial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's um, well, the one thing I'll say, and then I want to hear your your thoughts on on utopianism. Um, but the one thing I was thinking about when you were talking was uh, it, it's funny how how quickly and, and that Pelosi headline is just in my head. You know, maybe 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 it was taken out of context. I don't know. Um, I, I try my best never to read articles that will make me absolutely furious. Um, let, let's, let's call it self-care. I don't know. <laughs> like I, it's, it, it's certainly uh, lazy on my part, but uh, it makes me happier overall. Um, but uh, so, it, you know, one of the things about that statement, right? Like, oh, watch out. Like, old Donnie Trump's gonna, gonna contest the election if you're not careful, is it's dystopia, right? Like, that, that is a dystopian perspective where you're like, well, if worse comes to worse, then uh, we're gonna have, like, a, we're gonna have a tyrant king, and that's, that's no good. You don't want that. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting how quickly you can utilize um, anti-utopianism, uh, or how quickly you can use dystopianism to help uh, support anti-utopianism. Um, or, yes. or at least from the outside looking in, like not. I'm not as much of an expert on this as you are, but it seems that way to me anyway. Yeah, well, this is kind of exactly what I was trying to get at with the, the definitions of dystopia. Like, dystopia can be deployed as a way to kind of yeah create a kind of fear or a, about the idea of political change or, or yeah to, to kind of rein in your expectations or it can be deployed as a kind of radical critique of the society that you live in mm -hmm, uh it's right. a kind of call to arms or you know uh, even like presenting a kind of uh, some kind of rough template to like deconstruct it or whatever so dystopia yeah it can flip on both these poles and utopia can flip on both these poles mm -hmm. i guess which is is kind of yeah, this is where I, what I was kind of getting at at the beginning, I think, with the, the misunderstanding of how, yeah, what what it is, how it can be deployed in different mm. ways. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That's really interesting. I like, I honestly have never thought about utopia this way. Even even when you were emailing me and sort of like laying out the premise, I was like, well, oh, sounds cool. Like, I'm sure that uh, I'll <laughs> have a lot of interesting stuff to say. I'm down. And uh, I mean, this is, this is like a lot more going on than I than I would have expected. Um, not that your field of study is not complex, obviously it is, but, um, more I than that, I my field of study, right? <laughs> well, it is, such as it is. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's more that I just had no real idea what the stakes were that you were discussing. And, and it's, it's very interesting to see what those stakes actually are when you sort of lay them out. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. Hmm. Um, so I wonder what, what do you like? How would you? And I guess like I kind of I kind of know where you're going with this, but I'm going to, I'm going to lead you in anyway. Um, sure. Just to let the audience know that I know they know that uh, I am I am faking it. Um, uh, what is your What's your perspective of like utopianism? Like, how would you sort of imagine a, a utopian game or utopian image or like utopian text? Like, if 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 Bioshock is sort of a perfect example of anti-utopianism, and I, I I am convinced by your reading that it is, um, what would be a good um, would be a good text about um, about utopianism? Okay, uh, well I've got, I got a couple of examples I can give you actually. So one that you know, one that you know, one that you know, one that you maybe want to see the that you don't. But oh boy. Um, I. I like. I think Persona Five works as a nice example of uh, as a way of thinking about utopia, 
partly because it's not a utopia <laughs> like it's not a utopia it's not a utopia in the sense of oh here is a world where things function nicely and um you know there's a different vision of how things could be it's not a utopia in that sense quite clearly i mm-hmm. think sure. um but it's persona five so it has this um general sense about it about which i i think would speak to a lot of young people and i i like the fact that young people would potentially be playing this game and, and hearing this message but there's kind of a general sense that a lot of young people have i think that something's fundamentally wrong with the world yeah um this you know this can everything from climate change um you know the the idea of kind of politics being kind of fundamentally corrupt uh the, you know the the whole that corporations have on our lives and so on i don't think it's controversial to say that all these things people have a even if people aren't like um you know it doesn't you don't have to be like a radical leftist to think that like politicians are corrupt or like right uh, yeah no it's it's exactly right like i was i was i don't know do you ever have you ever watched the uh, the hbo show, hbo show veep it's like a no. comedy about, about u.s politics it's, i mean it, it it has a bit of the of the feel of um uh thick of it or like, or those like those sort of like British uh, politics uh, farces, um, but it um, it it's a smart show. And one of the things that someone pointed out um, in in talking about it was like they were like, this is a show that was created uh, during the Obama administration, um, and in fact is like is still extremely relevant in the Trump administration. Um, and and someone pointed out like the whole. If you ever if you ever watch like um, American sitcoms like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia or something like that, Veep has a lot in common with them in that like the main premise is everyone in the show is just like completely unlikable um, and just like a, a total scumbag and no one's really a hero. <laughs> and so right. like um, they were like, yeah, no, of course, like the the commonality is that politicians are bad. Like politicians are like are often scumbags, and it's like, yeah, okay. Um, that is not a controversial position. That's a position people can kind of get behind. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and that like that being the same thing over the years, right? Like that being kind of a, a thing that you can agree with if a, if a Democrat's in office, you can agree with if a Republican's in office, you can agree if you're like labor or a Tory or whatever. Um, like it's, it's compelling that that is something that everyone agrees with and yet we never really act on it we're just always yeah yeah yeah. no they're all scumbags and we know no one no one should ever want to be a politician but anyway let's just elect some more of them see that's that's the anti-utopianism again the anti-utopianism if you just accept that that's kind of that's fundamental that's just what politicians are it is what (laughs) it is yeah yeah. i guess that's all it is um, yeah, yeah. My my anti-utopian moment in uh, in in politics was my. I've told this story probably a million times on the podcast, but I I love how evocative it is. My dad ran for so in in uh, in America there are um, there are uh, there's the House of Representatives, which is like the 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 actual like big deal Congress in D.C. and all. And then uh, a lot of times people a lot of times people don't start there. People will start in the um, as a state representative. So state representatives are like, um, are, are people who like work within the state, right? Like the, yeah, they, yeah, they don't sure. go, they don't go to work in Washington. They go to work, uh, at the, yeah, yeah, the state yeah. capital. Um, and so Pennsylvania's, uh, state representatives, uh, work in Harrisburg and it's a pretty, pretty cushy job. <laughs> but, uh, my dad ran for, for state rep cause he, he didn't like, um, he didn't like the people who were, um, he didn't like the people who were, running the state at that point. So he, um, he ran for state rep and he ran on his own dime and he got blown out of the water because he, you know, he ran on his own dime. He made like, you know, $1,500 and, um, Mm. kind of, kind of popular because he was like, uh, an actor and he was able to be, um, he was able to be, uh, charming and stuff. So the, the, the democratic leadership called him in after the fact and was like, Oh, Hey, um, you know, you are going to lose this election uh, big time. Uh, you know, there, there's absolutely no way we can help you win. Um, but we want you to try and do the next election because we think maybe you can uh, you can win that one. And then over time, we can slowly, uh, you know, find winnable elections and, and get you into power. And he was like, what is this? <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> why, why, would, 
Why would we approach it this way? Why are we approaching this as an already lost cause? Um, and and he's yeah. just like, I am out. Like, there is no way I'm spending my time doing this. And I think that, like, that to me is the most sort of, like, perfect example of anti-utopianism where it's like, yeah, you can't win this time. Like, that, that thing you wanted to do, like, you know, really trying to trying to beat the system, trying to just become, like, you know, the, the person who bucks the system and, and brings change to the state, that's stupid and you'll never do it. Uh, let's go the normal route and uh, and just, like, over very long, gradual periods of time, we'll, we'll slowly gain you power, and by the end of it, you'll be disenfranchised and disillusioned, and you won't want to change anything after all. Um, yeah. So, like, I think, I, I don't know, like, politics seems like the perfect place for, uh, for anti-utopian thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It definitely, uh, definitely is. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, the, the... So what I like... So anyway, as we were saying, like, this, that's this kind of general sense that the world is like... Yeah, like we say, politicians are corrupt and, you know, the world's unjust. Like, I think that's a feeling that, peop- that young people will have. Uh, climate change is going to kill us, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, people, but, people, uh, people have sort of, like just come to say that that's just what's going to happen and okay fine or we're all going to yeah. die and you know the, the the period of time and this will this will make me no friends but the period of time in which we are going to die from climate change seems to just like um alter depending on how depressed people are at the time right like it's <laughs> it's always like oh yeah you know climate change is going to kill us in five years so i guess i don't have to worry about my uh my student loans or like climate change is going to kill us in three days so like it always just matters about how bummed you are like which which how dire of a report you believe um, yeah cl- climate change i think is the hardest thing to be utopian in the face of because like yeah it's bad it's, 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 it, it's because it, i find it so i like i always try to like yeah you know believe that because technically speaking it could you know uh we could like completely revamp the whole world system it's not like impossible it's very difficult but yeah the, the kind of time is yeah yeah with part with politics you can always be like okay like maybe we failed this time but like next time and you know we, we can do it we, you know we've got time to do it with climate change it's like yeah we yeah, really one guy, and then we don't have yeah, a lot of time. Hard. Let's be let's be honest here. It's not a lot of yeah. time. Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think like you know the problem with climate change for me is what you have to end up believing is uh, you have to end up believing that capital will protect its own interests, and that's just like that's as anti-utopianism as it comes. Where where you say yeah. like oh we'll we'll be fine because capitalists will never let money get 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 away from them, and and the apocalypse is deeply unprofitable. And it's like that's. Mm. A, that's a really awful way of thinking about politics, too. Um, so, but yeah, I'm sorry, I've cut you off completely about. That's myself. okay. That's I've, okay. Just, I've just been too interested in, in stories and stuff. Have you played Persona Five? Probably? I have not. I've played some of the earlier. Uh, okay, Personas. okay. I have Persona Five. It's one of those games that I bought like on sale, and I've been meaning to get to it, and have not yet. I'm slowly. Okay. I will get so, there, but uh, it'll take me a while. Yeah. Okay. So just to to, to give you a. a basic kind of lap so there is there's a group in the game they the the main characters they call themselves the phantom thieves and basically they kind of end up ident so they have this this thing we talked about they're kind of the the world is kind of like against them they're like unhappy about you know they're always coming up against corrupt adults who are i don't know like hiding I can't remember the exact... There's, like, various instances of abuse and so on and corruption and, and so on and so forth, and they kind of identify these injustices. They find the person responsible, and this is... We, we won't get too into the whole Jungian mystical element of it, you know, the whole psychological thing that's always in the Persona games, but they kind of... They steal people's hearts, which means they kind of steal the object of their... Um, the object of their desire that makes them kind of engaged in exploitation mm, okay. to make to make them um, confess to their crimes and to you know stop doing whatever they're doing. Hmm. But the the important thing is it for for me. So they the whole thing is they're always talking about their kind of anger at the society that adults have created. And the really easy thing to do, I think, would be to make this like a teen angst thing, like you know, like oh. The world's against me. Grown-ups don't get it. Like, 
I hate the man, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Sure. But it's not, the, the game makes it clear that this anger that young people feel at the world and, and these characters, it's entirely justified. Like their whole thing about like rebelling against the status quo, it's not just like a teenage angst thing of, you know, that thing you do as a teenager. It's not like a childish inability to adjust to the real way that the world works or whatever. It's actually this is completely justified in the nature of society that we live in right it's actually a strength that should be nurtured to like create a better world so they they're hmm. so these are for me the phantom thieves are utopian because they they identify problems in their world they think about how they can change it they believe it can be changed which is the crucial thing, and then they take steps to do it. Right. And they're also, they constantly talk about, they, they have this whole thing in the game of like a, they have like a, like a, a website where like, it's kind of like a, a popularity meter, which is kind of to do with how much people are aware of them and how much people believe in their, their kind of mission to like, you know, root out corruption and change the world and so on. So they're constantly talking about how they want to inspire other people to stand up for justice and for them to believe that they can make a difference. So for them to believe that they can change things. So the, the, these are, so for me, they're like, going, again, going to this back to this anti-utopian thing of being like against history. Like these people believe that there's nothing inevitable about the future again history is always tied into utopianism for me like this kind of anti-historical idea of you know here we are at the end of history versus you know believing in history that change can happen yeah and they they clearly believe that change can happen and they want to be they act as utopians and they want to be utopian in the sense that they want to inspire others to believe that change is possible that's the whole thing of the game that's what they're always doing hmm. so for me this is a nice example of kind of utopianism as like praxis i guess you could say yeah sure huh. and you, you know that you know obviously there's always this i, I, I mean I've, I've played persona four and five i haven't played any of the other ones but i think this is in the other games that also that are, or, uh, tend to be like dealing with the idea of fate yes well a lot of yeah. the, a lot of the atlas games do i mean there's there's there you know just to say it out front, there's a lot of problems with the Atlas games as well. Obviously, like, um, the kind of, like, weird uh, anti-trans stuff. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. A lot of, like, anti-gay stuff. It's it's a weird... It's a very weird studio, and, and, and it has a ton of problems. But when it's good, it's good. Like, the... So the the, the games I've played most by Atlas are the, are the Shin Megami Tensei games, um... Which are very fun and uh, and deal with apocalypse in like in in very uh, I mean literally apocalypse in, in in those cases like and it's it's always in kind of I'm hesitating to say this because it sounds really stupid but it, it, it's kind of like a fun way like it, it almost it almost <laughs> yeah. is tongue in cheek uh, it's not because like it's also like dead serious um, and and you have to make these extremely serious choices and and like a lot of people die and what whatnot but it it's it's also very cool like you you are a kid and you're also a demon and you get to make friends with other demons and like there's a mall full of demons <laughs> like it is it is in its way like very much a uh, an enjoyable kind of moment of of apocalypse um and the choices you get to make in that moment are are really compelling where you basically get to decide like okay um you know, God will ask you to help the, help him or her. Satan will ask you to help him or her. You could just become God of the world. Like, there's always a million different um, endings. And, and that in and of itself, right, like, the way you're describing utopianism is utopian, where you can say, like, yeah, there's actually, like, a number of ways this could end. Um, yeah. And you, it's up to you. Like, you can you can figure it out. Like, why don't you pick the way it ends? <laughs> um, yeah. And like the, it's not so much like there's a bad ending or a good ending. It's just the ending you pick, like the ending you want. In the, it's it can be it's very very disarming because like that's not the way we're used to playing video games. But like, that is what Shin Mikami Tensei asks you to do is like, pick the ending you want out of this and uh, and 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 go for it. Um, yeah, it's it's the idea that the the ending, if you're talking about in terms of a game or just like, yeah, a political outcome, it's based on like contingencies yeah. that, and it could pan out one way or another. And yeah, this is the, the, the whole thing of um, fate that the games, that this game is 
I just don't know if that's in the other games, I can't remember, but it's about fighting uh, against fate to an extent, which again, if we're mm-hmm. talking about anti-utopianism, fate is obviously inevitability, that's yeah. anti-utopianism. Uh, so yeah, this is yeah something that it is fighting against, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I all the so like even the first the first Shin Megami Tensei game is is old. It's like a it's like a I think it's a Famicom game, like so an NES game, and uh, um, it it very much like it very much does the um, it very much does the you know like uh, kind of half baked storyline thing, um, but the the whole storyline is basically this this experiment that this uh this you know mad doctor was doing or this cult was doing inevitably it's some cult or mad doctor or something in these games uh has gone completely wrong and now demons are overrunning the earth and uh bad news because no one knows how to kill them and we're all you know probably just going to die um and so you basically start off with the premise of like yeah it's over like this is this is this is the end of the world we we are living in the end of the world um and inevitably like you get to either participate in the end of the world um in some games in the third game you are a demon and you can um you you're supposed to like bring the end of the world about uh you could choose mm-hmm. to do that or not but like inevitably it's always like you're given a fate at the beginning of the story and you can either go along with that or you can work against it um, you know, more or less, I, I guess I'd say like they're, you know, they give you each game gives you some sort of like freedom more or less, but it is a, a fight against fate in, in those Atlas games as well. So, yeah, I mean, I totally see what you're saying in terms of persona. And in fact, you know, then setting it in a high school makes a ton of sense because there's no place where you feel like your fate is completely sealed as uh, when you are like a junior in high school and you don't like where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is it? Uh, just uh, on something you, you said there, you like, so you, obviously you were saying it's kind of up to you, like to an extent, because obviously there's like, you can't do anything you want in a Persona game. There are a limited number of endings. Right. Um, so I, I, this is something, so when I was, I was kind of thinking before about, um, so when you're dealing with, uh, so games can often games seem like a good kind of avenue for thinking about uh systems like capitalism for example because yeah. obviously there's their systems but they come like the, the, because their similar systems are limited they can often be a problem there like they have their own rules kind of built into them so you think of I don't know, sim um sim city is a good example sim uh, city is great. you had that guy you had that guy on uh whose name i've forgotten oh uh, justin yeah uh, do, YouTube... not, do not eat <laughs> yeah 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 so he was saying about how kind of sim city kind of has an idea about how a good city functions yeah all based, all based on like... an extremely conservative uh text that uh that yes we, uh, yeah that, that they sort of started with so yeah that would be so i mean and SimCity is a really kind of if you were talking about utopia as a, jo- a genre or something like SimCity would be an obvious example you would think of because the idea is you build like a good place um but yeah it has <laughs> what, these what ideas is utopia built but a good place <laughs> yes and it has these ideas built into it uh as you say very conservative ideas about what makes a good place and how you get to there how how uh, a society functions so you have the problem of the kind of um yeah these assumptions being built in so something a game which i think maybe has i I mean it's not something like i've fought through to its full extent but i I think there's like a utopian potential there would be a couple of games actually um something like baba is you okay or else heart dot break i don't know if you've played that i you know actually i haven't played i have baba is you I really, I, I feel like I either have or have really considered playing uh, Elle's Heart uh, Dot Break. Um, but tell me about both and tell everyone about well, so, so I just think the so Bubba is You, if anyone doesn't know, it's a puzzle game where the rules are written in the level. So I think that like the beginning, the most... But it says in the it says in the it says Baba is you and Baba is this little character. So Baba is you just means you control that character, and then it will say flag is win, which means you go into the flag to win. Okay. However, there'll be a wall in the way, and it will say wall is stop. So if you walk into the wall, you will stop. All you have to do is move the words around. So you move 
you break the sentence wall is stop and wall no longer is stop and you can walk into the flag mm. or you move or you move it so that it says wall is win instead of flag is win and then you can walk into the wall and win mm. that's kind of the basics of babbit is you um so I, I don't think Babbit is You is like essentially a political game or anything, but I think I just see a potential there in letting you like break the like you making the rules yeah. and kind of breaking the rules. Uh, there's, there's there's political elements to that. Like the the idea of rewriting is in and of itself extremely political. No, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's uh, and I think kind of else heart break is maybe kind of a pure example of that um again for anyone who doesn't know it's a game uh where you yeah very strange so so you 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 kind of get a call at the beginning of a game and get a job selling soda and then you arrive in the city to sell soda and it doesn't tell you anything so (laughs) you could just i guess you could just keep selling soda it's only yeah it has no kind of like oh go you should go here now you just kind of walk around and find stuff and kind of stumble upon a potential story that you can follow but the the basic idea of the game is that you can hack any object in the game Mm -hmm. so uh, for example you can click on a door and you can see the code for the door and you can say the code will basically say if you walk in this door you will be then in this room and you can then change what room it goes it takes you to so Mm. You can kind of reprogram the way the world. People have made people who are way cleverer than me have made like skeleton keys that like run through the possible combinations for door codes, so that you can open like during the game. You can hack ATMs to like give you money every time you check your bank account. You can change the speed of the character by hacking coffee. You can hack a cup of coffee to change the character speed if they drink it, and then have them drink it. So it's a game where you can kind of completely remake how it works and again i just think there's a really interesting uh utopian potential there i guess i would say yeah in that you you can uh you can literally in fact what with our heart break to beat the game to you can't follow the rules you have to break the system you have to break the way things work